is trying to do a little bit different format. Um, I spent 30 years lashed to a podium briefing off of PowerPoint slides for admirals and generals. And um, tonight I wanna kinda walk around here, uh, have the microphone in my hand, and drive my slides by myself, which is gonna be a challenge. Um, but I also want you to participate. I would love for you to participate. And there's a, there, um, there's a number of things that we're gonna do. So um, I wanna frame why I'm here, and uh, then I wanna give you some information that I've discovered in the last few years, um, really intensely in the last year. That's why I said a conversation about the last year. And then I wanna show you some pictures. And I'd like to get your input on these pictures on how they may or may not relate to the relationships that you have with other men in your lives, okay? So let's get started. Here's our, um, here's our agenda, why I'm here. Um, I wanna tell you what we've experienced, what I've experienced, um, and I wanna, um, I would love to have your assistance in understanding what's happening. And um, I hope that, uh, that you'll feel comfortable enough to share. And then when we're all done, I would love to co-create with you around the tables over some questions that we've prepared, um, a vision for the future, a vision for the future of men's ministry here, um, a vision for the future of your life and your lives together. So why am I here? I'm here because in the last year, especially the last year, but this has been going on for close to 15 now, um, I have found what I consider to be living water. And I've read scripture, I've tried to memorize scripture, I've spent some significant time in scripture, but I have never experienced what's been going on as I've taken the step into living into other men's lives. And, and if I've found a pot of gold, I would want to tell you where it was. If, if I found treasure, I would want to tell you where it was. Because this is the treasure that God provides, and, and there's an unlimited amount of it. And if I have found it, if someone is broken and as sin-natured as I am can find this, then the worst thing that I could ever do is keep this secret under a basket and not tell you about it. Here's a fear of mine, and that is that I'm going to come off telling you that what my experience has been will be exactly your experience. I know that that's not true. I also fear that somehow you may hear that I'm uh, delegitimizing the relationships that you may already have, and that is not my intent. All of you have had strong, powerful relationships in your lives. Some of you are married, some of you are divorced, some of you are widowers, 
You've had relationship with men from, um, Jesse will say, uh, from the time you were four uh, with other four-year-olds. So from 14 years to 100 years, relationship with men. The wealth of information in this room and experience about how to connect with men. And, and I suspect that we were specifically made to have powerful relationship with men. We were made to have relationship with women. That is the wonderful part of the creation. But women are not men. And our relationship with men possibly, as far as I'm concerned, certainly completes us. So I'm here to tell you where the treasure is, at least where I've found it. Here's my experience. Um, always, uh, as Steve described himself, I've always been kind of a loner. Um, I've always been an introvert. Uh, I went into the intelligence community because I was a keeper of secrets from probably four years old on in a very dysfunctional family. And um, I went into the intelligence community. I didn't think of it as the time, but I think I, I um, paid handsomely by laying on a couch and finally figuring out that I went into the intelligence community um, because secrets were my life. Don't share, don't be real, don't connect. And um, starting in uh, about 19, uh, let's say, let's say 1994, the Lord has started a transformation in my life about these relationships. To the point where I thought that I would write a book, because everybody wants to write a book, right? Um, certainly a college professor wants to write a book. And I wanted to write a book about friendship. And I perfectly fit into the model of you write books about things you know nothing about in an attempt to learn more about them. I don't know what your experience was. You may have had a very different experience, and that's why I want to open it up to some conversation before we go to the tables and the questions. But my experience in high school was that I had more female friends than I had male friends. That I felt much more comfortable talking with women than I did with men. And the men that I talked to, it was, um, it was very much seemed scripted, seemed bounded, um, seemed that it was um, something that was absolutely necessary, uh, but there was something else missing. And it was in 1994 that I met my good friend Matt, who was a discipler, who discipled people on a regular basis. And um, my relationship with Matt was so unique, so powerful. Uh, here was somebody who accepted me, and after a time, 
and it was like maybe a year, year and a half, that I could tell Matt anything. Um, and I did tell Matt everything. Things that I had never shared with anyone before because I felt that safe and that secure. And I was still accepted. I was still his good friend. I may have told you this story before. I, I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But I had a chance to do Matt's funeral. Um, Matt was a great discipler of men, and the Lord decided that he was going to bring Matt home. How do I know that the Lord decided to bring Matt home? Because he struck him in the temple while, riding, while running on the beach um, in Duck, North Carolina with a lightning bolt. Short of sending a fiery chariot for him, I think that's pretty clear that the Lord had said, Matt, time to come home. And when I did his eulogy, there was a church full of about 350 people. And I said, because I suspected the answer I would get, how many of you thought that Matt was your closest friend in the world? And almost every hand went up. And I thought, wow, that is finishing well. How did he do that? He maintained his family, meaning his family was happy. They were connected to him. He had a, two children in high school when he got called home. He had a successful career. He was a judge in the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, he had just transitioned to be an admiralty lawyer, one of the best admiralty lawyers at the time at the um, Department of Justice. He was really active at church, and he had that much more time to connect with these people and the men in that room. And it kind of set me on a path that tonight is part of what is it that God had in mind for us? I think it has everything to do with discipleship. I think one of the best, if not the, certainly the best model is Jesus Christ. For Jesus to have walked with the 12, Imagine what it was like for him to walk with one that he knew from the very beginning would betray him and still loved him. And then the other 11, there was one that he loved. I believe it was John. But nowhere in Scripture do we see ever that any of the disciples felt cheated felt like they had been slighted. Now, they may have competed with one another, like, ooh, who's going to sit on the right-hand side? But it wasn't, I want, I want to be Jesus' favorite. And then, including John, there were two more that made up three that Jesus was closer with as well and took on special missions with him and had special events with him in... Uh, uh, in his three-year ministry. All of them felt connected. All of them lived life on life with one another. All of them loved 
one another. And it was a model that was so powerful that we sit here tonight as part of that legacy. It was about being a disciple. And the first part of that is being a devoted follower of Jesus. It begins with our relationship with Christ. Who's working to grow us into his image. And he's using everything. He's using our jobs, our wives, the significant others in our life, our children, our bosses, our employees, the men in this room, he's using to help us be made whole, to be made who he knows we are, even after a lifetime of possibly people telling us who we're not or who we can't be. Growing into his image both with our personal relationship with him, but also the personal relationship that each of you have with him. And the Holy Spirit that is in your heart is the same Holy Spirit that's in mine. How could I be more connected to each of you than to have the same being, the same entity, the same person in your heart as in mine? That's why I can say something to one of you, and I don't think it's very important. I, don't, I haven't like thought about it forever. I may have prayed about it. But if I say something, you get bowled over by it because it's exactly what you needed to hear at that exact time of something happening in your life. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And it is more about me getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit work than me trying to be your advisor or your mentor or um, a friend like the old TV show Friends used to be. Committed to his mission in the world. I suspect that there's something going on with this men relationship thing. I grew up in a church, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church um, where uh, where the men were dragooned, um, that's a Navy term for being hit on the head and dragged aboard the ship. Um, uh, the men were dragooned into service on weekends um, to do various things around the church. And I thought, well, that's the way things work. Now I suspect that's not the way things work. You see, we're called into mission not because God hasn't figured out how to solve hunger or God hasn't figured out how to prevent homelessness. Jesus said that there would always be poor. Why would he say that? He could solve it with a thought. There are poor and there is mission for you and I to walk alongside one another and work in his name. That connection that comes with walking besides one another in that mission is what I consider to be his prime directive. Love me with your own with your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So this whole mission in the world thing, everything we do, certainly we make a difference. And God recognizes that difference. But it's also about the relationships. It's about the relationships with the people that we're in mission with and mission for and mission to. And it starts with Romans 12.1. This is one of, if you look, if, if you would like to understand what one of the best definitions of a disciple of Jesus Christ is, just look at Romans chapter 12. We're only going to do, um, I think, four verses, but Romans chapter 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Not because you have to punish yourself, because you've already been forgiven. A sacrifice in the context of, Lord, I'm all in. I'm going to die to self. There's more important things that you have for me to do. And when I find those, when Brian Fila finds those, I cannot believe the experience. To watch God work around me is humbling, is exciting, is, is unbelievable, that treasure. So it starts with being a living sacrifice. And not being conformed to the pattern of this world. My goodness, um, 30 years in the Navy, 30 years in U.S. federal government service, I'm a pretty conforming person. And I was absolutely conformed to the world. And what the Lord is telling me through my time in Scripture is to be transformed by Him and not the world to think about relationships with men, not the way the world does, but the way he tells us. Because through these relationships with men, they will help you find his will. His with a capital H. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For the grace given... Me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That's one of the secrets of binding, lasting, long, powerful relationship with other men is if you have no clue what, who you are, I think that's the first place the Lord is working on you. Chip Ingram, famous pastor on the West Coast, uses the term the velvet vice of grace. If you're not sure who you are, my experience, because I was in that vice for about 25 years, is slowly convincing yourself of who God made you to be with all the warts, with all the brokenness, with all the mistakes, with all the propensities to do what you don't want to do, 
just like Paul told us, um, that sober judgment. And don't we as men, I mean, uh, I won't ask for a, a raising of hands, but don't we as men just long for somebody who really understands who they are? Who can walk up to you and say something that's self-effacing or, or say something that speaks to what's going on for them and you go, whoa, he's not faking. He's not acting. He's not wearing a mask. This is powerful. Well, I'm here to tell you that for me, I interpret that as standing on holy ground. And that sober judgment is one of the best things that you could possibly do. And now I jump to nine. This is the last verse in Romans. How am I doing for time, Steve? What time do I end? <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly love. We're called to love one another. What does that look like? You see, in English, we really wrestle with this because we use the same word for pizza and we use it for the most important person in our life in our romantic relationships. So what is this supposed to mean in 2019 for two men to say, that they love one another and not behave like 13-year-olds in middle school. <laughs> Ooh. What does it mean to love a brother? The way Jesus loved, the way the disciples loved, the way the first century Christians loved, not sexualized, but in a way that, have, that has you connected with the rest of the human race. The secret? Trust. My bet, and I won't ask you to answer the question, my bet is that you absolutely trust less than 10 people out of 6 billion. Satan's been doing a pretty good job convincing us not to trust. Keep it on the low. In fact, keep it off. But if you're in a relationship, maybe with a significant other, turn it up a little bit. But that's the only place. Because everybody else is going to let you down. And here's the punchline to Satan's joke on that. This side of heaven, every single person you trust will let you down at some point. But it's not the letdown that Christ is focused on because we're like the biggest letdown in his experience. He forgave us despite our, our failures. Our ability to forgive other people and still love despite it, 
is part of our transformation in Christ. So this is where I'm going to seek your assistance. And here's a metaphor that we're going to keep with for the rest of the night. Steve, I took your, um, you used this metaphor before, and I'm going to abuse it horribly, and I apologize in advance. You've said, start with the front porch, move into the foyer, move into the living room, and then into the den, okay? Um, Or move into the theater, make it up. I'm going to act the way the guys act on TV or in movies, the way my parents acted, or the way my father acted with other men, and um, that's just the way it is. That's as good as it gets. Where I'm going to abuse your metaphors, I'm changing it. Here's our house. This is our house for tonight. Okay? And our house has a fence and a yard. Every single one of you have a fence and a yard. And your relationship with men, sometimes, I'm going to jump ahead, you talk over the fence. These are the guys at work. These are the guys that you encounter maybe at church. You tend to remember their names. See, in the Navy, we used to call people Bud. I hate that because I call my son Bud, and that's like I actually remember his name. But the reason why we do it in the Navy is because we can't remember your name. So we'll go, hey, Bud, how you doing? Didn't even take the time to learn your name. Nothing wrong with this relationship. It's across the fence. We'll have hundreds of these in our lives. But this is just the beginning. What do you see here? This is your participation part. What's the picture? Okay, it's welcoming. But remember, we're talking about the friends in the yard. How many of you, no show of hands, have your fence half an acre off the front door? It looks great, doesn't it? Somebody said welcoming. Yeah. Got the rose bushes done nice. I got my act together. Don't come near the house. This is not what Christ has in mind for us. What do you see here? Nasty grass, broken fence. How the heck do you even get to the front porch? How many of us are like this? Woundedness, brokenness, got things in our lives growing out of control, in the way. If you do, I'm here to tell you, the Lord wants to change that. He wants the trees pruned. He wants a little step built on the front porch.
What do you see here? Welcome to my home. This looks pretty good. Except most of your friends will break their legs as they fall off the front porch because it's about two feet wide. Looks even better. You don't have to walk a half an acre to get to the front, ha- front porch. But it's about six feet wide. Don't have time. I'm a very busy man. I have a family, I have work, I have all the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to make the front porch look really nice, but not a lot of room for you. That's not what God has in mind. This is what my front porch looked like for most of my life. Inviting, isn't it? Are you surprised that people didn't want to hang out with me? Because that's what they could perceive. Could this be you? Could this be where you feel tonight? Well, I'm here to tell you that's not what Christ wants for you. That is not why he has all of these men in this room, in this community, to live into your life, to fix the front porch, to get rid of the telephone poles, to make sure that the whole facade doesn't collapse on your head. I have to shift to a painting because photographs don't cut it anymore. Um, This isn't a photograph, this is a painting. Yeah. Is this the kind of front porch you want to have? Little ice, a little lemonade there? Okay, so we wouldn't have the flowers, but our significant others may do the flowers. <laughs> Attract bugs. You're right. Um, not the best-looking chair, but I bet you that's a front porch that life-changing, transformational conversation can occur. Let's go inside the house. Got our living room, got our kitchen. Looks like we have an office, bedrooms. We're not going to talk about the bedroom and the closet. We're going to talk about the office, the living room, and the kitchen. What do you see here? Thank you, Rory. Very uncomfortable. Does this look like a place that you'd like to go and hang out? <clears throat> Is this a place that you'd just like to, like, boy, I hope the TV's on this wall 400 yards away. Look at the width of the couch. Do I sit down? Do I lay down? What? We go to the other extreme from your living room looks perfect. Is this the way your living room looks? I'm sorry if it does. There's people here to help you. I'm serious. I make no light of it. Is this your life? Who's going to want to come into that? There are people. 
Jesus is going to send people to come into that to change your life. To go from uncomfortable sterility of beauty and, and modern, modernity to the craziness. I tried for close to 30 minutes to find a picture that reminded me of my Aunt Helen's cottage on Long Island Sound in Connecticut. And every single one of my cousins, because we recently shared this on Facebook, said that what they thought was the neatest about Saint, um, Helen's, she's not a saint, um, Helen's cottage, she was a great aunt, matriarch of the family, was that she didn't yell at us when we ran into the kitchen with sand on our feet. Because there was sand all over the house. And she didn't care. And when we went to Aunt Helen's cottage, we had a blast. From the moment we got there to the moment we left. You want your living room to look like this? With relationships? With come as you are? Bring all the warts? That's possible. Last example, the kitchen. Um, if I have accidentally shown a picture of your own house because I got these off Google, I apologize, okay? And, I didn't, and I'm not judging. Um, not even a place to sit. But it's clean. It looks nice. But is there a safer place to have a real conversation than around a kitchen table? Is that just me? That you would, you would be able to bring somebody into your kitchen and sit down? That doesn't show up very well. There's a bowl of cereal on the table. There are things on the refrigerator. Actually, this is a Pixar animated rendition of a kitchen. Do you want to be a kitchen kind of brother? Do you want brothers that you take into the kitchen, that you go into their kitchen and be real with? Steve, I'm stealing some of your slides. John Eldridge, I don't want cliches. I want deep, soulful truth. And that only comes when a man has walked the road of his own wounds. Sober self-assessment. That doesn't mean you needed to be wounded in order to fit into this. It is, I bet you that you've been wounded, and I'm sorry for that. And Christ wants to make you whole. Those that are closest to you are also the ones that might hurt you most. They're actually testing a bulletproof vest here. I wonder how much the, the guy got paid. This is the small printing. This is the warning label, okay? But I'm here to tell you that even though you may get hurt, that some, another man may break your trust, it is about the journey, and I would trade anything to keep that journey and not run away from the fear.
So how do we turn our trust on high? Connection and risk look like this. Sorry. This is the world. This is vulnerability. I'm here as a living example, and it's just not about me. But I'm here to tell you that it is worth the risk. Every fiber of my being tells me it's worth the risk because it's personal experience. So just real quick on masks, we have them. The irony of masks is that although we wear them to make other people think well of us, others are drawn to us only when we take them off. I'm living proof of that. When you find another brother that you can develop a relationship with, a trusting soul relationship with, there is nothing like it. The trouble with stealing yourself against the harshness of reality is that the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed secures your life also against being opened up for transformation. This is the classic golden gilded cage that this world tries to put us in and Christ tries to take us out of. And yes, this will require time. The one thing no one in this room has enough of. But I'll tell you what my personal experience is, and that is that the times that I'm meeting with men now, and I think you can ask Beth, my wife, and you'd get a truthful answer, and it would be something along the lines of, I've never been more efficient because I'm changing my life to give myself more time to live into men's lives. My relationship with Beth, my wife, has never been better. My relationship with my children has never been closer. But this relationship with men makes such a difference. So, what I encourage you to do is avail yourself of the opportunities here at First Pres. Many of you already do. Use those opportunities to draw close to someone that the Holy Spirit may be speaking into your life, that there's a man beside you that you can walk for a portion of the journey with. And I guarantee you it will change your life. So now we go to the times on the questions at the tables. Could we hand them out, Steve? The, um, and that is how you're doing. How are you doing? This isn't a guilt trip. This isn't a, ooh, look at me. It is, here's an opportunity. Many of you are in Bible studies. Many of you are meeting in small groups. Many of you are discipling others. Amen to that. Keep that up. It is likely through those experiences that you may find the most intense relationships of your life. And these kinds of, of relationships I've seen appear only in about two or three places. And that is when men find themselves 
fighting against insurmountable odds with a small number of you, with high stakes, with people watching you, and you succeed. That is why 50 years or maybe even 70 years later, men recount the best time of their life is when they were winning the high school football championship or the baseball championship. Unfortunately, the other time I see this is in a foxhole. And you're relying on someone for your life. And those kinds of relationships are the kind of relationships that when you walk up to somebody after 70 years or 80 years, they are like you were together yesterday. Because it's that kind of bond. This is where the term band of brothers comes from. This is that glue that takes men and brings them together. And I'm here to tell you that my belief is that Jesus Christ says those aren't the only two times that you can have those kinds of relationships. You can have those relationships right now. You can have them in a month. You can have them in a year. It's up to you. So what I encourage you to do, there's table leaders to ensure that the conversation continues. Um, please take a look at the questions. Start with question one. All I'm asking you to do is bring someone to mind. You don't have to voice who that person is. And then answer the other questions. So let's take, um, Steve, can we take 20 minutes? Okay. Okay, we can take 30 minutes of table discussion to answer your, um, have a conversation. I believe that the Holy Spirit put you all at these tables with specific purpose in mind. Steve, you want to? So, so uh, table captains, you know, you guys, again, you know, just try to keep the conversation going. Just a couple of quick rules. Uh, try not to dominate the time. Uh, you know, uh, if somebody, if you need to want to get a word in edgewise, um, put your hand over your heart, okay? Your table captain will see it and say, oh, I see Frank, you want to say something. Would you like to share? Okay, that kind of a thing. Um, and he here's what can happen tonight. You play spectator. You just sit there and watch everybody else talk about important stuff, okay? And I've said this a million times. Nowhere in Scripture is a Christian ever called to attend anything? Okay? We are called priests. We are called disciples. We are called saints. But we are never, ever called an attender. Or certainly not a spectator. We co-create the learning, the discipleship, the growth of each other. And I'm serious as a heart attack about that. Do not spectate around a table. Risk Risk being open. Dare to be honest. Dare to disagree. Whatever the heck it is. Okay? But don't just sit there and observe. Okay? Share your heart. Share your thoughts. Share your struggles. Share your wounds. Okay? This is the time to do that. All right? I appreciate the metaphors you used all throughout the night. And I think what I hit me at, right at the end there, like, you know what? I don't realize what a foxhole I'm in. I think I'm, in, I'm on a freaking vacation land. I don't need nobody. I'm in a foxhole. 
against an enemy that's trying to wipe me out. And I, 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 don't, I don't get that I live that way, so that's why I don't think I need brothers. You know what I mean? You're in a foxhole. Tonight's the night to get to know the brothers in that foxhole. All right? So turn towards each other uh, and, and, and talk to each other. Anything else you want me to...